Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Hello and welcome back to the Power Hour, the Heritage Foundation Center for Energy, Climate and Environments podcast. I'm your host, Jack Spencer. I'm joined today by my colleague, Travis Fisher. Travis, how are you today? Doing great, Jack. Is that all you got? Because right here in my notes, I have a chit chat, which I think indicates we're supposed to chit chat, at least for a moment. (laughs) Yeah. How's the weather? The weather's outstanding. It's amazing. I know weather is um, a boring subject for many. But God, this time of year, it's not boring. You just wait for winter to be done, and then it, like, teases you. You get a scotia spring, but it's now so the, nice we are in summertime. And it's sunny, and we don't have that Canadian smoke anymore. It's so nice. I love it. I didn't even mind that. I think the Canadian smoke thing was overblown, but it's neither here nor there. I, it I did blow over. I was <laughs> I was, I was, was part of I was, I was overblowing it because I was hacking up. I, my lungs were hating it. Oh, well, maybe you need some more money lungs like I got. I guess so. Right. That sounds right. Jack Spencer's got the perfect lungs. I guess that uh, ends our chit-chat segment. Good. Now, <laughs> as has become tradition around here, I want to remind everyone about the Power Hours email account. In fact, Travis, why don't you remind everyone about the Power Hours email account? Sure, Jack. It is the Power Hour at heritage.org. Please send us an email. Do, and I promise everyone... I respond or Travis responds and and that stuff gets integrated into the show here. So if you want to hear about something that we haven't talked about, let us know. If you want to hear someone as a guest, we'll do our best to get them. And uh, if you just want to have a conversation, we'll do that too. It will not fall on deaf ears. That I promise you. So just remind us one more time what that email address is. The Power Hour at Heritage.org. Very good. Now, as everyone knows, we've gone over it ad nauseum. We're one player down. Rachel left us, and she, amongst other things, in, this, in addition to providing uh, vital insight and analysis, she had a role on this podcast to tell people where to find it. I didn't ask you beforehand to have this prepared, but do you know where to find this here podcast and yeah, how to find so it? We are part of the Herd at Heritage program generally, which also, I should note, includes our events and other podcasts. So we're not the only Herd at Heritage thing. But we are included. We're in the, the best herd at heritage thing. I mean, we're pretty prolific, let's be honest. Um, but you can find us anywhere you find your podcast. Like you can just go to uh, Apple, Spotify. Apple, Spotify. Type in the Power Hour Heritage. Type in Heritage Heritage Power Hour. It should come right up. All right. There you go. So I know I'm not as good as Rachel, but, you know, she's gone. So I'm doing my best. I think you're better than Rachel, frankly, um, just between us. Well, because I'm still here. <laughs> I'm just saying. Now, we in the past, for a handful of episodes, have gone in a direction that I like to call energy adjacent. Um, And we're going to go energy adjacent today. Now, it's definitely still energy environment, but it's very definitely adjacent. What we're going to talk today about is population growth, or more accurately, the lack thereof. So this isn't something I was really tuned into a year ago, but... Um, you know, recently we started hearing murmuring about this as being a major issue. And it's sort of weird because most of our life, at least most of my life, I've spent 
hearing people inundating me with this narrative that the real threat to the world was too many people. We were going to have a population explosion. We we're going to run out of resources, whatever. Bad things. People are bad. We have too many people and we're just getting more. But then, perhaps most famously, or at least most recently, Elon Musk a few months ago, when asked, what's the biggest threat to humanity? And he was, I think to many people's surprise, he said population collapse. Not growth, but collapse. And I think that got a lot of people buzzing about this issue. Now, because heritage is awesome, we didn't just start thinking about this when Elon Musk said we should. Um, this is something that heritage had recognized some time ago and started thinking about what, from a policy standpoint, I guess from a cultural standpoint as well. Mm -hmm. More importantly, perhaps from a cultural standpoint, but what can and should be done about this. Now, most of that effort lies outside of our energy and environment work, or at least it did. Um, be, but a few months ago, Heritage recognized this not just as an issue that we need to be thinking about, but really a major issue that deserved, for lack of a better term, an all-hands-on-deck type response. And that's why we, the energy and environment guys, are here today. As it turns out, there is an energy and environment angle to all of this. And we have with us today the two folks that have been researching this issue and will soon be publishing a major report on it. Now, one of those people is our old pal, Travis. Hey, Travis. Hello, one, once again. It's me again. Um, now, you already know him, so there will be no further need for introduction. Travis is awesome, knows energy, knows electricity, and happens apparently to know population issues. Um, but our guest today is a new voice for the Power Hour, Alex Gage. Now, Alex wears a bunch of hats for us here at Heritage. One of those is to research and write about energy and environment issues. So, Alex, welcome to the Power Hour. Hey, it's great to be here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? What are you doing here today? Well, uh, name's Alex uh, from uh, Denver, Colorado. Wait, uh, your name is Alex from Denver, Colorado? <laughs> <laughs> I'm from Denver. I just graduated a year ago from CU Boulder. Um, had no idea what I was going to do, um, you know, last year. And, uh, you know, I took a, a, a internship here at Heritage last fall and turned into a job. And I'm just grateful to be here every day. And I love it. So how long have you been here at Heritage? Um, almost a year now. It'll be a, a year uh, come September. Now, people out there will say, Alex Gage, he's been there for less than a year. He just graduated. What business does he have here on this podcast? You guys just got to trust me. I only bring you, I should say, Travis and I only bring you the best people. And Alex is a rising star. He's a rising star in the public policy space. And I've been doing in this job in one way or the other for a long time. I had my, I was in Alex's uh, uh, shoes in 1998. So that's how long I've been doing. I've been, uh, I've been bossed around by people and I've been the boss of people. I've read every sort of research and analysis that has ever th that exists and i read alex's and travis's piece on this and alex i gotta say i was really impressed especially for a, a young lad who's just sort of trying to establish themselves you did a really nice job now of course you're gonna have to now back up all this praise with what you say on this here podcast mm -hmm. but i think our starting point is a credible one so congratulations well thank you jack i appreciate it so i guess let's just get into the paper First of all, no, before we get into the paper, let's establish the problem. 
What's going on with population? Like, why do we care about this? Well, I think Elon Musk established the problem, Mm -hmm. and he's known to think in very long-term time horizons. He's thinking about, you know, starting civilizations on other planets and things like that. So this is a very long-term vision, but it's an important one, which is if you don't replace your population, then what happens? And I think that's a fascinating question. I, I think one one angle to it, and this is only my personal bias coming into it, is what if people aren't having kids because they think that the world is going to hell in a handbasket? Mm-hmm. If that's really their motivation behind it, first of all, that's not true. And we can show with data that that's not true. So if that's the premise, I'd like to correct that premise. And sort of the, the Elon Musk view of the world kind of you know, lends itself to that, actually. It's like, well, why would we need to go to other planets? What, is Earth not good enough? I think Earth is great. So um, that's sort of the, the problem statement is there, well, there's two problems. There is the actual environmental problems that, that we do witness some of those. And then there's the perceived, you know, Earth is not going to be inhabitable uh, in the very near future, which I think is a made-up problem. Okay. I want to come back to that. But first, isn't the population growing? Mm-hmm. Overall, it is. I mean, so if you look country to country, there are some very fast-growing countries, and then there are typically in the more developed world, there are populations that either are growing very slowly or even shrinking. And one thing that's alarming is, I mean, especially if you compare U.S. to previous years. So just just looking here, sort of our, let's see, I've got the figures. If you use the birth rate by year, so going back to, say, 1950, and we'll have to double check all this data. This is a draft report at this point. But it's gone from something like, um, let's see, crude birth rate in 1950, 24.1. And that's births per, Alex, help me out here, 1,000 people uh, per year? I don't know. I mean, it's not per woman. They weren't having 24 <laughs> kids back then. I'll tell you that right now. And then, But it, it steadily falls. So in 1960, it's lower. You know, By the year 2000, it's 14. So what we know is the trajectory is downward. By 2019, it's, way down. it's like 11. Down. So the, the gist here is that there's, there's an observable downtick in the birth rate, and we're trying to get to the bottom of it. So is it the case? So you're saying that certain countries in the world have growing populations, other countries in the world have shrinking populations. Is it your theory or your premise or the product of your research, or could you conclude that as populations develop, this tends to be a problem? This becomes a problem. It looks like this is a problem. That's what it looks like, yeah. And so for, um, for Western culture, for Western countries, for the United States and its friends and allies around the world and other developed countries, this is a real problem that needs addressing. And there are probably any number of potential variables that are leading to that issue. Right. And so the, the birth rate and this crude birth rate, I pulled it up. Crude birth rate indicates the number of live births occurring during the year per 1,000 population. So that's the figure we're looking at here. And it's basically, it's it's fallen by more than half 
in in the time that we have good data for this, so 1950 to now. And there are a lot of drivers. I mean, there are things even in sort of the positive side of things like education or, you know, the amount of women in the workforce and things like that. So there, there are good trends that are... And probably things like uh, infant mortality. Um, if there's less... There's that, but... Can I just chime in for a minute? There's also you, you just chime in. Don't ask to chime in. You just chime in. That's how it works here. Okay. You also have to kind of think of uh, back in agrarian societies, pre-industrial, you need to have lots of hands to work the fields. And then as we get into a more industrialized economy, more advanced economy, you just need less hands on deck. And so there's less incentives to have kids. I think that, and Travis, tell me what you think. We're not trying to say that this... Uh, view that the environment's getting worse is the reason why we're having less kids. But what we're trying to say is that it should not be a, it should not even be factored in in a couple's decision making as to whether or not to have a child. Because the world is just, it's getting better in every appreciable way. Or especially in the Western world where we do have really strong pollution controls, it's actually the inverse of that. Because the world is getting so much cleaner and safer, that's, it's not only not a reason to avoid having children. It's a reason to bring children into this very clean. This is the best world we've ever had. The U.S. right now is mm -hmm. the cleanest, safest world on the planet. Let me, I'm going to come back to this, I promise. But I have one more follow-up question on, estab on establishing the, the problem. Like, why do we care if popular, like, I like to hunt and fish. We've never talked about me hunting and fishing. Um, and that has to be something we talk about. It's what I love to do. And, uh, I would love if there were fewer people in the woods. I think if there were fewer people on the roads, heck, I, uh, whatever free time I have, I spend on top of a mountain in West Virginia by myself or with limited people, because I'd like there to be fewer people like, cool, less people. What's wrong with that? So. By itself, I'm not sure there is anything wrong, especially when it comes from sort of the voluntary choice of parents. Of course, we're not going to say if you're if you're not interested in having kids that I'm going to change your mind. That's not what I'm here to do. It's more I want to eliminate the climate anxiety, which is a new term mm -hmm. and it's a new phenomenon and it's impacting even so even the parents that do have kids, their children are subject to this climate alarmist narrative. And that's having psychological impacts. We go over that in the paper, too. So it's not necessarily that we, that I think people should just be having more kids for its own sake. It's more that I'd like to relieve people of this, I think, false narrative that, you know, the world's getting so much worse. And therefore, here's, here's, here's the, uh, the quote from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Let, let me see if I can get this exactly right. The gist is she's wondering out loud. And I think this is on like an Instagram video. She's wondering out loud if it's still okay to have children, yeah, given so. that. And she said things like, well, the world is going to end in 12 years. And she said that three years ago. So, of course, now we only have nine left. Um, there are a lot of people that have, you know, prominent positions, a lot of, you know, social authority who are saying things out loud like, mm -hmm. hey, the world is going to end. You shouldn't have children. And that's the specific problem that I was trying to. And target. there, I mean, there have been uh, complete philosophical um, frameworks developed around this idea. Well, this whole idea yeah. is new. It's yeah. not new. Right, it's right. quite old. So, 
the problem for us of a society not having enough kids, especially if that depression in childbearing is the result of some false narrative or false stimulus, um, is that you don't have enough people to continue pushing society forward. And, and you don't have enough people to simply maintain the status quo. Right. You don't have enough people uh, maintaining the power lines. You don't have enough people maintaining the railroads, driving trains, truck right. drivers, uh, mechanics. Uh, you need people to allow our systems to function. Right. Well, and there's the broader issue of if it's specifically an American problem, then our country and our culture shrinks while other countries and other cultures grow. And China's finding out the hard way with their one-child policy. They, they, they know that, that uh, they're, they're shrinking bad and, and they made the wrong decision. Well, China has the other problem with their one-child policy and also their bias towards males. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, <laughs> if anyone was sitting around thinking, how, what kind of witch's brew can I come up with to completely throw a monkey wrench into all of society— Let's limit the number of ch- children people can have and the ones that they do have. Let's make them all dudes. This type of thinking gets dark yeah. real fast. I yeah. mean, we've all been to a bar where it's mostly dudes. And usually there's some kind of they drink too much right. and then there's a fight. Right. Like, is that what China is going to be? Just a giant bar fight? <laughs> maybe, maybe it is. But maybe they want that fight to happen in Taiwan. Oh, I see what they're going to They're going to outsource the bar fight. Oh, so I, I've, <laughs> I've, I've pulled up the, uh, the AOC quote. And this is, it's especially harmful because she says it with sort of a, there's a scientific veneer to it. Mm -hmm. She said, quote, there's scientific consensus that the lives of children are going to be very difficult. And it does lead, I think, young people to have a legitimate question. Is it okay to still have children? End quote. So she's pretending like science says that. Science does not say that, first of all. And then the question is, oh, well, is it still okay to have children? That's a ridiculous question because she's exactly wrong on the premise. So there's too many people saying this. So part of what the report is is designed to do is to give people the antidote to this kind of thinking, which is, you know, demonstrably wrong. Well, so, and Joe Biden even went further than AOC recently. He said the whole next generation is damned. Like He said that. Yeah. Well, I, I wonder if it's perchance that they mistook the science on the environment uh, for the economics of their policy. Because if they are basing those conclusions on the economics of their policy, then they hit the nail on the head. Oh, we should do a word replacement. There's scientific consensus that the lives of children are going to be very difficult if Biden and AOC get their way right. with their climate alarmism. Right. Yeah, I, I would yeah, agree with right. that. Exactly. I mean, All right, so, so, so let me just... Uh, Reset the, 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 the frame here. We've established that populations, certainly in Western countries, are, are coming down, and there are a number of issues for that, that there are good reasons for wanting to reverse that, especially if that population decline is the result of policy or narrative or some artificial thing, and we think that that's the case. One of those things, not in the entirety of the things, but one of those things is the narrative that that, that the environment is bad and getting worse, and therefore young people should think twice about having kids, and it might even be immoral for them to have kids given this condition. Thus, don't have kids. That's where you fellas come in and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. None of that's true. None of that's true. Mm-hmm. That first, um, well, first let me ask you this. Has anyone done any studies to, to determine if that, in fact, is the case? Do pe- are people actually concerned about this? 
Yes, there are. We've got a lot of data in this report. One one set that we look at is polling, of course, because you know when you're asking about people's attitude, that's about the best you can do. But when you ask a basic question right now, do you think the quality of the environment in the country as a whole is getting better or getting worse? This is a pretty sticky stat. This goes back 23 years, and it's pretty much it's pretty constant throughout the whole data set. Only. 30-something percent say it's getting better, and more like 60-something percent say it's getting worse. I'm sure there's some folks that say, I'm not sure, I don't know, I don't want to answer. So in general, it looks like almost a two-to-one split that people, when asked, they think it's getting worse. And that's interesting because it's so constant throughout this whole data set of 20-something years. And we also have the data showing that especially when you're focused on the six criteria pollutants, the EPA pollutants that basically the things that we can all agree are bad, you don't want to breathe. That goes from PM 2.5, carbon monoxide, lead, all of that stuff. The trends are exclusively down. Each criteria pollutant, the trend is down. And that goes back, I think it actually goes back before the Clean Air Act, but definitely in the Clean Air Act era, so since the 70s, that's been on a steady downward trend. So we're getting cleaner and cleaner all the time, but the polling says that people think the environment's getting worse all the time. So it's almost like it doesn't matter what the data are telling you. Um, folks just have a gut feeling that things are getting worse. Well, knock me down and call me Sally. I never would have expected that as being the dynamic uh, working out here. So what you're saying is that special interests, people seeking power, are lying to the population in order to uh, uh, manipulate them into engaging in behaviors that benefit the special interests and those in power and not regular Americans? Is that what you're telling me? I, I don't believe it. I'm saying I don't I don't want to get into motivations. My based on the quotes that we have right. from the president, from Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, it looks like something like fear mongering, given the state of affairs that we see, which is steady improvement in environmental quality. So let's talk a little bit about, you, you touched on how the environment's getting better. Do you, so the criteria, first of all, let's establish what the criteria pollutants are. The criteria pollutants are the things that are released into the atmosphere from uh, burning coal and gas and other, are, are they only the result of, of, uh, of conventional fuel use, do you know? No, so there, there's there's a lot of sources of them, and so in general, we're talking about the, so when we say six criteria pollutants, these are things that the Environmental Protection Agency controls under the National Ambient Air Quality Standards, so we have tight standards for all of these things, um, and it's not as if they're exclusively the result of combustion of fossil fuels. For example, the main way to comply with EPA's new PM 2.5 rule which is basically fine particulate matter, they, they just say pave dirt roads. So this is the kind of thing that just driving a car on a dirt road could kick up dust and that could trigger a PM 2.5 uh, reading and things like that. So it's not, it's not exclusively the dirty fossil fuel industry behind all this stuff, but it is. it almost doesn't matter the source because we've, we're getting cleaner and cleaner across the board. So what you're saying is we need to pave more roads. That's what the EPA is saying about PM 2.5. Have you talked I to Joni Mitchell about this? Look, here's the thing. When I read that part, I was like, what's the main compliance mechanism? Like, oh, pouring a bunch of asphalt on dirt <laughs> roads. Like, that just doesn't strike me as a 
as an EPA thing, like, because as as we all know, asphalt is literally the bottom of the barrel of crude oil. Mm -hmm. It is the most sticky part of the crude oil. Um, So that's just interesting. That's just an interesting factoid. Yeah. Um, All right. So, well, first of all, Alex, I I just made a Joni Mitchell uh, reference. Do you understand that? Don't even know who Joni Mitchell is. No. All right. Um, after this podcast, go back to your desk, Google Joni Mitchell, and then you report back to me why that reference made sense in the context of this conversation. Okay. And then we will report back to our audience whether or not uh, you passed that test. Oh, okay. speaking of our Spotify contract, that that should help us, right? If we if we badmouth Joni Mitchell, wasn't she oh, one yeah, of the ones? That's right. She was one of the ones that wanted to boycott <laughs> Spotify because right. Joe Rogan was still on the platform. That's right. It was uh, her and Neil Young. Our our angle. I here. know who Neil Young is. I didn't ask you who Neil Young was. Uh, but let's get back to the issue at hand here. So criteria pollutant has gone down. Are there other metrics environmentally or um, even environmentally adjacent that we could look at to show that this is just um, like I, trees, for example? I feel like I'm hogging the conversation. I, I want to leave some room for Alex. But my favorite my favorite is climate-related deaths mm-hmm. because if you want to say right. that human beings are being killed by climate change, which is the most— Which they obviously are. Which is the most fear-mongering thing you can do. And this includes everything. This is every, like, natural disaster that's climate-related, all of the stuff. The climate-related deaths statistic, it's one of the most steeply declining things in the report. I mean, it goes from— I don't believe it. Give me some numbers. So it goes from, you know, in the 20s, we're talking about, okay, global deaths per year. um, And they sort of do an average over the decades. It starts out in the 450,000 to 500,000 range in the 20s. Now, that's a sizable amount of climate-related deaths. That's in the world. That's globally. Global, okay. And, yeah, I'd be curious to see if this stat, how it breaks down by country. But But it, 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 it... in, in the context of population, that's also with a much smaller population. Mm-hmm. Right. So as population has grown globally, this figure just collapses. So through the 40s, through the 60s, about cuts in half. And then it gets really close to the x-axis in the modern era. So this is, we're talking like the 80s to now, falls pretty close to the x-axis. I'm not saying it's zero. It would be nice if it were zero, but this is... You know, expecting everything from, I don't know, hurricanes to avalanches to stuff like that. It, there's always going to be some death. But the point is we're getting so good at adapting to all of those threats, in part because of the high energy societies that we've built, in large part because of fossil fuels. So I was going to say, before you drop that on me, what about CO2? Obviously, uh, CO2 is not a criteria pollutant, and um, AOC and uh, Biden, I can't believe he's the president, by the way, (laughs) (laughs) but Biden uh, will tell us how how bad things are, and um, with regarding CO2, so I was going to be like, yeah, what about CO2? But now you're telling me. Even CO2 doesn't much matter. No, it doesn't. I mean, have you ever drank a soda in your life before? You ever had carbonated water? I have. Right. It's delicious. Everyone's all up in arms freaking out about their carbon output. It's like, dude, like, have you drank a LaCroix in the past 24 hours? Oh, yeah. Okay. Are you dead? No. Oh, you're fine. Okay. So it's pretty, <laughs> and, it's pretty clear that it's not a traditional pollutant 
Jack doesn't like calling it a pollutant at all. That's I, because it's not. And I agree. <laughs> but it's certainly not a traditional pollutant. And in fact, we exhale it. And in fact, it does a lot of other things that if, again, I don't expect Jack to care about this, but maybe some people care about this. Global greening is mm-hmm. a is an important thing to acknowledge. Mm-hmm. The Sahara Desert is shrinking. There is a higher concentration of CO2 in the atmosphere. It's it hasn't quite higher than what it hasn't quite doubled since pre-industrial levels, but it's higher. So what's that? Two hundred and fifty years. Yeah. So I mean, the uh, you know, the, there's a group 350.org. They're trying to get it back to 350. They think sort of the CO2 mm-hmm. concentration in the environment is the most important number in the world. Right. Um, I reject that completely. How old's the Earth, by the way? I forgot. About four and a half billion years old. Depends which books you read, Jack. All right, between six thousand years and four and a half billion years, I stand by my <laughs> my my premise that two hundred fifty years is uh, irrelevant. Mm-hmm. It might be. It might be interesting. We probably want to keep our eye on it. There's for sure. Keep our eye on it. Interesting, but irrelevant. Yeah, the figure of you know CO two parts per million in the atmosphere. It's um, of course, we should track this stuff. And, of course, as we talked about with Roy Spencer, I think it's important to know the sensitivity, you know, for policymakers. That's an important thing to be able to judge. Do you know the temperature impact from a doubling of CO2? And the fact that we have not gotten very much better at knowing the temperature impacts just tells you it's either, you know, a, a flimsy driver or something that we don't fully understand. So I, I wouldn't use it as basically the, uh, the end-all be-all for energy policy for sure. I would argue uh, certainly shouldn't be the basis of policy, nor should it be the basis of whether or not one has children. Right. But here's here's the thing. This is the main point that I wanted to bring from the paper to the podcast. What they've done, and this is intentional, and I will, I will talk about intent in this case because there are whole articles about the strategy. The strategy is you take the increasing CO2 emissions. Nobody's arguing against that. N- nobody's saying that's not happening. CO2 emissions are going up. Take the increase in CO2 emissions and connect that to pollution and environmental problems. So basically what, what, what they say is they call it climate pollution or carbon pollution. And usually in the articles that talk about it that way, there's a handy image where even if it's water vapor coming out of a you know a coal plant exhaust they get it in just the right angle with the sun behind it so that it looks very dark in some cases it looks brown or red or something what they're doing intentionally is conflating co2 which as we've discussed is not a traditional pollutant with things like with things like smog pm 2.5 you know soot particles that you absolutely do not want to breathe and I think, this is my theory, is that a lot of that is to blame for the simultaneous improvement of the environment when it comes to real pollution and people's perception of it as getting worse. Like, yeah, there's more CO2 in the atmosphere. Is that a problem? We can debate that. Calling it carbon pollution or climate pollution is not helpful, and especially these images are intentionally mixing the two. Uh, I just see that as a, a... a very harmful strategy. And that's part of the reason that people are so depressed about the state of the world is they, they keep being told, they're told by everyone that you should be alarmed about the climate. It's getting worse. Everything's dirty. And by the way, you're a bad person for your lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, this whole 
strategy of conflating different things to create an association then define you conflate different things you create a single association you rename that thing and you put all those that basket of things into the renamed thing which is exactly what they're and doing they, so the, this is a trick the uh, the environmentalist groups do a lot especially when you see it in the, the electricity space like which sources of generation are clean versus dirty of course now natural gas which by itself is clean by the way because it emits co2 and combusted that's now their you know in the binary sense that's now dirty mm -hmm. so you lump that in with coal and everything else that you burn so that's dirty now and clean is all the stuff that doesn't emit co2 no matter what else is involved with it forced labor for example doesn't make it dirty co2 makes it dirty so this is it we've we've gone into a weird territory where it's this you know extreme binary clean versus dirty and it it's just doesn't map to reality at all yeah um i have to uh make one one minor correction is something you said although my minor correction might be wrong but i'm going to throw it out there anyway and then you can tell me that then you can minorly correct my minorly correction um you described them the left the environmentalist extreme environmentalist crowd as um using pictures of coal plant exhaust and you called it um what did you call it um they're awful liars no 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 the stuff that comes out we exhaust yeah they yeah so it's mostly water vapor yeah mm -hmm. the, the, is that the exhaust that comes out? Isn't the water vapor that comes out from the cooling towers? Right. Coal so plants still have exhausts that have traditional pollutants, don't they? Yeah, but I think it's I I think it's actually combined. We we should talk to some engineers about this. But the coal exhaust itself, of course, by EPA regs, is essentially washed and filtered for all of the pollutants, right? Mm -hmm. The real pollutants. So so you're saying. Um, that the, those, the stacks, which we're not confirming, we're having a conversation of what we think, is I know that it's been mostly scrubbed, but mm -hmm. you're saying even what comes out of the stack is primarily um, condensation. Well, even if it were a combination of CO2 and water vapor, it's still it's the, yeah, well, it's the I'm same not, point. I'm not even talking about CO2. <laughs> Bring out the CO2. I, I, um, I was talking about the, the other stuff. Interesting. Well, and so. one one example too is there are a lot of cooling towers that on coal plants they look a lot like the cooling towers on right. nuke plants. Now that's a hundred percent condensation right. coming out of those guys. Right, and th that's the easiest way to tell. Yeah. But um, the other, the sort of the smokestacks, yeah, that's probably in in the case of a lot of the smokestacks, it would be the post scrubbed exhaust. Yeah, which would include CO two, but I think would also include water vapor. I'm not sure. It probably does. Um, but it also it has to include some. It's not defunct of criteria pollutants, is it? Pretty close. Interesting. Then, then why in the world do we, all of us, even us, when we talk about all the different energy sources, maybe it's not conscious, but we do. I catch myself doing. I I hear you do it. Um, it's like. Coal is still a little bit dirtier than the others. You know, it just... Now, I don't believe that. 
I don't, you know, I don't believe. I love coal. Um, I celebrate coal. We should burn more coal. Um, but it, I think it probably is a function of just the propaganda that we get all the time that we somehow put coal a little bit different than the others. Well, it, right, would let, you argue that that's not the case? Let's do the steel man version again. There are still, like, let's take coal ash for example. Coal ash is not part of the sort of the right. the gaseous exhaust, but there is a coal ash byproduct that's burned, and that usually gets stored on site in right. a pond. Right. Um, I think Which most I of us hear ad nauseum how it's gonna leak. Blah blah blah. I think most of us would acknowledge that, especially in the worst case where the pond leaks, that that's not ideal. Um, so that's part of what we talked about. But the gas exhaust itself, I think it's it's pretty clean. I think this is a we we should tee this question up. When we talk to a coal person who may be on the agenda in a couple of weeks. Yes. I think Which it's, I I'm think looking very uh, forward to. I'm sorry, Alex, go ahead. I think it's important that we uh, zoom out a little bit. I think we're kind of getting into the weeds on different you know, types of fuel and exhaust and whatnot. There's a fundamental question um, that this paper addresses. And it's what we do is we turn on its head the very mistaken notion that human advancement and human flourishing and good environmental stewardship are at odds with one another, when in truth, human advancement and taking care of the environment, when done properly, can be complementary to one another. Um, and there's this idea, obviously proposed by socialists like AOC, that in order to save the world, we have to get rid of capitalism and put everybody in a little, you know, Khrushchevka coffin apartment um, and monitor everything they do in order to reduce CO2 emissions to save the world. But fact of the matter is, is that when you get people above absolute poverty to where they're no longer thinking about their immediate survival, they start to care about the future a little bit more. And, you know, people might ask, oh, what's this, uh, you know, 23-year-old doing writing this paper? Well, I see, and I saw on my college campus, and I see it on, you know, with, with many of my peers, it's uh, this belief that human flourishing and protecting the environment are at odds with one another. It encourages this belief of nihilism, pessimism, complacency, and then, of course, that, that turns people off from wanting to have children. Um, and I would say that uh, a lot of this climate anxiety and young people being told that there's just the, the best thing they can do for the world is to live as small and meek an existence as possible is... It's destroying people. We in our in our paper we we highlight multiple cases of, um, um, you know, throughout our research we've discovered uh, many people are sterilizing themselves in their twenties. They're going to regret that decision when they're forty, and then there's even people who are young people who are committing suicide because they're saying, "Oh my gosh, like oh the human race is a virus or a parasite on the planet." As Prince, what was it, Prince Charles, Prince Philip, he said that. Yeah, he was fantasizing about being reincarnated as a virus that right. could take out enough of the population that you know, would put us on, you know, a sustainable path, which is a that's a Thanos type thing. Right. That's like that's a Marvel villain approach. But right. that's that's the royal family. And and they're saying, oh, that's the moral thing to do. And and it's 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 uh, terribly sad. It really is. You know, a, a person's worldview is very important. And I think a lot of young people, particularly on the college campuses, um, they just adopt this worldview that everything is, is just going to hell and that they can't do anything about it. And so that's why we have just such a, this, like I said, this nihilistic uh, trend throughout my generation 
of people just trying to engage in as much uh, hedonism as possible before the world ends and that nothing matters. I told you Alex knew what he was talking about, folks. I, I, w- I want to pick up on one thread there because it's very important. This whole idea that environmentalism itself is only made possible by sort of the fruits of the of the capitalist yeah. movement where you basically you have I enough. I call it a luxury worry. Exactly. You have enough development so you get to the point where you're like, well, now I'm going to have climate anxiety. Um, but it's important to also take the global view. Most of the globe does not live the way that we do. And in fact, there are still billions of people that don't have access to reliable electricity and things mm-hmm. like that. And, you know, the the old phrase, there's no energy dirtier than no energy, the, the lack of energy itself. So you're, you're asking about sort of what's in coal exhaust in the U.S. I think that's a valid question. I appreciate Alex putting us back on the rails, but it's a valid question because what are we comparing it to? Mm-hmm. If you're saying, okay, coal exhaust in the U.S., is it slightly dirtier than natural gas fired like power plant exhaust in the U.S. or burning animal dung in in India, India and Sub-Saharan Africa to cook your food. Right, I think that's the that's the relevant comparison for a lot of societies globally. Is that you know, indoor air pollution is rampant because they're burning biomass, you know, straw in some cases, dung or coal indoors. Um, so the industrial coal that we're burning and filtering. Um, the relevant comparison is that to say unfiltered internal indoor coal combustion abroad and that's uh it's a it's a scary thing so i mean uh on the one hand it it is definitely a luxury to worry about the environment and i i i do think it's important that we focus on it to some extent but not to the extent that we always need to get cleaner no matter what and there's always a crisis around the corner i think we should probably get to a point now where we say Hey, guys, we got it good here. Um, if we want to focus on empowering people abroad, sharing our energy wealth, and sharing our technologies in terms of being able to produce energy cleanly, that's where a lot of this focus should probably go. I mean, but but that would take a pro-human focus. Right. Trouble here is we've seen a lot of people shift that and not worry about human beings, but worry about the environment as something different. Right. It would also take a... Um a democratic approach. And as Alex was speaking, um, he brought something up that I think is really what's driving all this. You talked about how the left argues that um, we're destroying the world in order to save the world. We need to um, have, but, the, have the government uh, shut everything down, put uh, you in your little coffin apartment. And, and submit to the government. Uh-huh. And then if you don't, their little CBDC will shut off your, your access to money and, and your job and everything. Um, you know, not to get conspiratorial, but we've shown here over the last four or five months since we've been doing this, we're not afraid at least. Is this the pivot to the dark web version is, that we always is, do, at least one of? Okay. Can we talk about the how implicitly genocidal this first, Malthusian philosophy is. First, let's talk about how what this really is, is a ploy for special interests and the establishment to maintain control of the economy mm-hmm. and to um, ensure that populations are here to serve them and to comply with their wishes and that this is just the latest manifestation to do it. And what they have figured out is that um, by putting out there that the environment and our survival is at risk, they're creating the premise for us to submit to do whatever they want. To go off that point, okay, these 
would-be world controllers, to borrow from Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. They argue that, oh, well, we can convince people to voluntarily regulate their population. Um, there's even a, a movement called the Voluntary Human Extinction Movement. These people, it's, if they get control, they're going to realize sooner rather than later that most people are still going to want to have kids. And because they view themselves as so morally superior and so much better than everyone else, who are they to determine who, who lives and who dies? Now, all of this comes from, from Thomas Malthus's philosophy. He was a, a philosopher and an economist in the late 1700s, early 1800s. He believed, and, and he wrote uh, uh, this, this paper in 1798, where he said that human history is basically humans procreating, then procreating beyond their means of survival, and then a, uh, there's things like famine, because there's not enough resources, and war, resource wars, basically. And this will maintain the human population in a very grim equilibrium. Um, this has been the basis for eugenics. It has its influences on Keynesian economics. And people like Paul Ehrlich, he is clearly a neo-Malthusianist thinker. Well, it's all about a, a carrying capacity mm -hmm. and this weird idea that there's always going to be this external check to bring you back to the sort of normal carrying capacity. And their idea treats... is is that to in order to prevent from us overpopulating, right, there has to be this uh, regulation on population growth so that we don't face famine and war and so on and so forth. The only problem with their thinking is that it's been proven wrong every single time over the past several centuries. India in the 1960s had this, uh, this very serious problem. India's very large population, and in the 1960s, they, they weren't very, uh, let's just say they, they were not as industrialized as the West. And so they had a, uh, major food shortages. And it was, it, was, it was a Malthusian tinderbox. Everything was just laid bare, ready for the Malthusian principle or philosophy to prove that hypothesis. But what happened was there was a gentleman named Norman Borlaug. What he did was he selectively bred different strains of wheat to create a quote-unquote super wheat. He brought this uh, super wheat to India and with, with modern farming uh, technologies like, you know, combines and so forth. And rather than proving, rather than Malthus's idea uh, manifesting, Borlaug saved millions of people's lives. And what these pessimists uh, really fail to factor in time and time again is the human ability to innovate out of problems and solve our existential crises. Um, there's a, a brilliant man. His name was Julian Simon. We actually open uh, the paper with this quote. He says, and, and I really encourage all listeners to, to really uh, pay attention to this and, and honestly, like, you know, rewind a little bit. He says, we have in our hands now actually in our libraries, the technology to feed, clothe, and supply energy to an ever-growing population for the next 7 billion years. Most amazing is that most of this specific body of knowledge was developed within just the past two centuries or so, though it rests, of course, on basic knowledge that had accumulated for millennia. These pessimists and depopulators and, and these people here who, who think that um, it's, it's, you know, they're just so much smarter than everybody else, they, don't, they really don't understand that it's human innovation um, and, and, and we have – it's human innovation that will, that will save our, our, our species and, so and propel us to the future. I, that was great and I agree with you. Here's where I disagree. I think that the left does understand all that. 
But they what their goal is is to convince people otherwise so that they can maintain control. Right. So anyway, I hope folks know that whenever I start saying, you know, we should go on the dark web and I, I spin a conspiracy, I'm half it's tongue in cheek, but I do legitimately believe that that is from where this stuff is coming. Like there are people who who understand these this dynamic mm-hmm. and they use policy and cultural narratives in order to maintain control. I mean, there's no other reason um, there, there's no other reason to uh, there's no other justification or um, explanation for the, these movements that, despite what all the evidence says, to be perpetuating the narratives they are. So one one bone I have to pick with Sir Thomas Malthus is that, you know, some people say that it was because of that essay, his overpopulation essay, that that's why economics as a science is referred to as the dismal science, because this eco- this economist said, hey, we're all going to starve to death. That's how we're going to check our population growth. A pretty dismal approach, um, but it's wrong. And I think Julian Simon really put it in its place. I think the thing that is intuitive but wrong to a lot of people, so the truth is counterintuitive here, is that you know we aren't just mouths to feed. We are hands, we are minds, we can create. The idea that I think grabs a lot of people, and this isn't purely sort of a leftist conspiracy. I think this is people gravitate towards this. It's like, well, we have a fixed planet, a fixed amount of, you know, physical matter on Earth. There's a misunderstanding of what resources are. Right. So people think resources are are finite. Uh, In fact, some people that are tuning into this podcast now are probably going to say, well, this guy's crazy if he doesn't think resources are finite. Of course they're finite. No, I disagree. And what Julian Simon said was, even though the amount of physical matter on the planet is finite, and especially if we're burning hydrocarbons, that that resource is shrinking in terms of what is available on the planet. The difference is a resource isn't just the physical matter. A resource is the technological know-how. How do you apply it? How do you use it? Great example is, so if you were in sort of the early half of the 1800s, a lot of farmers had crude oil bubbling up into their crops. Mm-hmm. That was a nuisance. That was not a resource. We now it's the lifeblood of the global economy. It's the most valuable commodity in the world. And it only became that way when we figured out how to use it. And so that should relieve people's climate anxiety, too, when it comes to, look, if we think we're going to either run out of fossil fuels or burn so many that we have no control over you know, the, the temperature of the planet, we have solved every single problem that has come our way, and including the resource shortage problem, including the climate problem, as we show with the climate-related death stat, there's every reason to be optimistic about our approach to the Earth. I mean, we, we have time and time again come up with, you know, ingenious ways to, to, to basically improve our own lives, that we're very good at that. We are not bacteria in a Petri dish. We're going to run out of food and then all die. We can create a better planet. It's within our control. And I, I think that's a very empowering message as opposed to the degrowth. You have to be small. You can't consume it you know, as, as much as you want to. You have to shrink yourself because there's only so much to go around. Mm-hmm. That is entirely wrong, exactly wrong. 
It's not a zero-sum game. I agree. Alex, I'm going to give you the uh, the last word here. How do you oh, su- wow. how do you summarize? It's not technically the last word. Travis and I will technically have the last words. Oh, so you lied to me. But him. on the issue at hand, for the, the, the subject that we're discussing, what do you want to leave people with? Okay. This whole idea can be can be basically cut down to one sentence. Do not let misguided concerns about the environment preclude you from having as many children as you want. We're not saying that, oh, each family has to have a quota of like three or five children or whatever. We're just saying that do not let this nonsense that the world is ending discourage you from from having a family because at least the Western world and really globally speaking, it's, it's just improving. The bottom line is improving all across the world. Well, there you have it, folks. Alex, you did an outstanding job. I, uh, I appreciate you participating. Oh, do you have any idea when your paper will be out? In the next month or? Hopefully in the next couple of weeks. In the next few weeks? Yeah. All right. So within a few weeks of hearing this podcast, hopefully this paper will be out. And we will let folks know um, when it's out because I suspect there will be some, some interest in this. So, Alex, great job. Thank you for being here. Now, if people uh, think that Alex did a great job, let us know on the, on the email. Say, we want more Alex. If, on the other hand, you think he was horrible, and say, don't ever let that chump on the podcast again. <laughs> Otherwise, we are unsubscribing, and uh, we're never going to listen anymore. So we're going to put out to the people right. if we invite you back. Yeah, now, I hope they like me, man. Now, you need to do additional research so you have something to come and talk about. Right. But um, we'll, see what, we'll see what the people say. Sure. <laughs> Tell me the same thing about Travis, too. <laughs> So I've I've got I've got more to add, Jack. I know you always, oh. you always try to wrap it up, but I'm like I got one more thing. Oh, so, all right. I'm so I'm going to try to connect to a previous episode that we had. We had Rich Stern on, and he talked about the the story of the two Koreas, South Korea, of course, flourishing, North Korea, and abomination. But here's the thing that we missed on that podcast. We all know this, but we didn't say it out loud. It's not as if the entire country is suffering. It's the masses who are suffering. And if you think back to that satellite image, South Korea at night, glowing, full of energy, full of life. Mm-hmm. North Korea, mostly dark. Mostly, it is it is a human tragedy what's happening there. But there is one speck of light, and it's in the palace. And that's where the elite leaders, the of course, yeah. everybody else is starving. Mm-hmm. Who's not starving? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is the lights will always be on in Washington, D.C. I'm saying mm-hmm. the uh, the World Economic Forum types, of course, their lights will never go out. Right. And, of course, they're still going to eat steak. Yep. But, uh, and exhale CO2. Yep. It's bugs and darkness for the rest of you. Yep. Well, thank you for adding that, Travis. I will. I, uh, well, I'll come back to this. So thank you to everyone who took some time out of your day to listen to the Power Hour. And please, if you enjoyed the podcast, tell your friends and family and colleagues to check us out. And even if you didn't like us, tell your enemies to check us out. Either way, just tell someone. Now, Travis, I was going to say, Travis, any final words? Oh, I've got more. Just just kidding. Just kidding. All right. Since we already heard your final words, we'll skip that part. Alex, do you have any final words shorter than your other final words? Subscribe to the Power Hour. (laughs) There you go. I like it. I like it. So there you go, folks. 
Remember to email us at Travis. Tell us one more time. The Power Hour at Heritage.org. Thank you. Thank you, Travis. Thank you, Alex. Thank you all. We'll see you next time. Thank you.